Good morning. My name is Russell Vick, and if you don't know me, I am the curate here at Incarnation. And curate is just a fancy Anglican word that just basically means pastor in training. So there's an old saying, which perhaps you may have heard before, which states that there are three topics you should never bring up in a conversation. Money, politics, and religion. And to talk about these topics feels dangerous, right? Because of how closely they intertwine with our morals, ideas, and personal values. In a very real way, these topics relate to our perceptions of how the world works, or at least how it's supposed to work. And every time these topics come up in casual conversation, it seems as if the conversation starts to carry an emotional charge that it didn't have before. And to me, it feels like the conversational equivalent of carrying a burning match into a room full of gas. And so for a long time, I resolved to live in accordance with that saying and not talk about money, politics, and religion. Just keep your head down, don't say anything, just try to be faithful in following Jesus and everything will work out. Just try to be likable, believe what you believe, don't ruffle anyone's feathers, or in the words of Aaron Burr from Hamilton, talk less, smile more, don't let anyone know what you're against or what you're for, right? Keep the peace. But as if we have continued our sermon series in Matthew, one of the things that has been standing out to me is that Jesus likes to walk into the messiest, most controversial places and do his kingdom work there. And if we are truly going to claim that we follow Jesus, then we simply do not have the right to ignore the places, topics, or people that seem messy to us. Jesus likes to go to the messy places that we don't want to go. Jesus likes to be with the messy people whom we don't like. Jesus likes to talk about the messy topics that we don't want to talk about. Why? Because it is the messy places, it is with the messy people, it is in the messy topics that Jesus brings the healing of the gospel. And my prayer is that we would be a church who boldly follows Jesus and joins him in the work of healing no matter how messy the place he is calling us to go. And I believe that our gospel reading for today, which coincidentally talks about money, politics, and religion, gives us insight in how to go about doing that. So at this point in the story, Jesus has already entered into Jerusalem and is living there with his disciples right before his crucifixion. People welcomed him into the city, waving palm branches and proclaiming him to be the son of David, the promised Messiah, the true king of Israel. And the religious leaders are furious. They have watched Jesus' ministry grow and have already had several altercations with him. Multiple times, Jesus has challenged their assumptions and interpretations of the law, revealing the true condition of their hard hearts. They have ultimately been more concerned about observing the little details of their faith rather than observing the weightier things of God. They wanted a nice, quiet religion that they could control and make them look good. Jesus wanted them to have a relationship with the Creator that transformed them to actually be good, 
to be a people who were friends with God and whose friendship with God led to blessing those around them, a people who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And so the reality of Jesus' gospel was exposing the hypocrisy of the religious leaders' hearts. So they decided to trap Jesus and get rid of him. And the religious leaders were so desperate to get rid of Jesus that they were willing to partner with an opposing political group called the Herodians to do so. The Herodians were a group that believed it was politically advantageous to live within the system that Rome provided and loyally follow the reign of Herod Antipas, one of the client kings of Rome. And if we could talk to a Herodian today, he would probably say something like this. Look, everyone, for the past couple centuries, we have been under the rule of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and now Rome, an empire which puts all the other empires to shame. We just need to focus on survival. If you can't beat them, join them. Hopefully, they will just ignore us, and maybe in addition to surviving, we may even thrive under this system. Now, as you can imagine, this was not a particularly popular group within Jewish society especially among those who were looking for the promised Messiah who would reinstate the royal line of David, not to mention the fact that the poor and lower middle class were particularly suffering under Roman law. So the fact that the Pharisees were willing to partner with this group in order to trap Jesus really demonstrates how much they wanted to get rid of him. And the fact that the Herodians were willing to partner with the Pharisees says how much they also opposed Jesus, especially since the gospel that Jesus was preaching was the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, a message that would make any loyal Roman citizen particularly worried. And so, together, they came up with a question. And they approached Jesus and asked their question. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now the question was phrased in such a way that it required a simple yes or no answer. Yet both answers would bring consequences to Jesus' ministry. If he said no, then the Herodians would have immediately reported him to Rome and accuse him of being a radical who sought to overthrow the empire. If he said yes, then the Pharisees would have immediately disparaged him before the Jewish people and claim that he supported the tyranny of Rome over the divine rule of God and that he was a false messiah. It was a brilliant question that had no right answer and it forced Jesus right into the messiness of that day's politics. But Jesus answers their question in a way that was even more brilliant. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And now before I get to Jesus' answer, I want to provide a little historical context, which is actually really important to this story. During this period of history, a ruler would often imprint his image along with an inscription on coins 
as a form of political propaganda. It was the most practical and effective way for a government to communicate the message to its populace. This silver denarius would have had an engraved image of the current emperor, Tiberius Caesar, and it would have had two inscriptions on it. One inscription would have said, Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus, and the other inscription would have said, Pontifex Maximus, high priest. And the Romans, who knew that the Jews would have taken great offense at this, didn't, and didn't want to incite them to more rebellion, actually allowed the Jews to make their own coins with bronze. So the fact that a denarius was somehow in the possession of the Pharisees and the Herodians raises a really interesting question. And if we want to make this even more interesting, there's a good chance that this whole conversation that was taking place was taking place in the outer court of the temple. So what were pious Jews doing holding an engraved image with such an idolatrous inscription? And the answer, we don't know. <laughs> but it certainly does make them look bad. Or to use Jesus' harsher language, it makes them to be hypocrites. So Jesus is holding this idolatrous coin that was in possession of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And then he says this, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And in making this statement, Jesus is claiming that one can be a good citizen and a follower of God. But Jesus' response also puts Caesar and every other ruler in his proper place. Although Caesar carries lots of power and governing authority, although he, he may demand that the people acknowledge him as divinity, he is ultimately subservient to the will of God. He is just a man. You can give this coin back to Caesar because it bears his image. It belongs to him. And by the very fact that you are holding this coin, in some way you have received some benefit from his rule. So be a grateful citizen who acknowledges whatever benefit you may receive from your government and pay back what has been owed to you, what has been given to you. But even more importantly, be sure to give the God the things that belong to God and bear God's image. And what are the things that bear God's image? Or more accurately, who is it that bears God's image? And answer, people, human beings. They all belong to God because they bear his image. And no allegiance is higher than that which is owed to him. So as I near the end of my sermon, First, I want to clarify something really important, and then lastly, make an appeal. So first, my clarification. I did not intend and never intended this sermon to provide a broad theology of the church and state. That is far beyond the scope of one sermon, and I don't think we could even do that just from this one passage. I mean, there is so much in the Bible. Like, If you want to try to do something like that, you'd have to talk about like, Kings and Chronicles, the book of Daniel, the prophets, and then Paul, and then Revelation. Like, there is so much that I just did not cover here. So don't take this one sermon to be applicable to everything when it comes to politics 
and religion, okay? So now that I made that clarification, I'll end with my appeal. We are getting ready for an upcoming election year. And in last week's pastoral letter, our rector, Amy, helpfully provided some questions for us to consider before that time comes. And this is what she wrote in the letter, if you didn't get a chance to read it. How might we prepare now for the challenges and temptations we might face in the upcoming political season? How do we become better formed as Jesus' followers in order to resist the idolatry, self-righteousness, and othering that often marks our politics? And as we consider the answers to those questions, I appeal to you. Remember that our ultimate allegiance belongs to Jesus because we bear his image. As you prayerfully and with wisdom seek God's kingdom in your political engagement, please do not trade your ultimate allegiance for allegiance to any candidate or party or policy. And I'm not saying that you can just ignore politics or just to back away. I'm not saying that at all. But remember to give Caesar only the things that belong to Caesar and nothing more. Remember to keep your politics in its proper place. And remember to give to God the things that are God's. May we remember the words of the Apostle Paul who exhorted us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And as we do that, Paul says that we will come to know God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will throughout the messiness of life and even in the messiness of our politics. Amen.